0: Thank you very much Um, and thank you for for Phil to uh, he halved my talk time at the weekend so we've had to do a bit of hastening up on this one. So management of rectovaginal fistula depends on the etiology and it depends on whether there is an anal sphincter to repair to get tissue between the vagina and the rectum or the anus and the uh, um, vagina. Um, And for me, it's all about getting tissue between the two surfaces. There are many, many approaches to the repair of these fistulae, um, and the patient just wants the one that works. So if there is a sphincter defect, get that muscle repaired and get it between the two openings. There's a lot of people who do advancement flaps. I'm probably not very good at them because they don't often work for me. And I think it's because we're not getting enough tissue in there. Uh, A DeLorme's advancement flap is only possible when you've got mucosal prolapse. And here you do a circumferential disconnection of the dentate line. You concertina the muscle, as you do in a DeLorme, and then you advance the mucosa over in a tension-free fashion. There's the Martius flap, which Professor Phillips was um, particularly good at, and these are his photographs. And it's based on labial fat. But it's my experience that if you really ask a woman how she feels about scars in her labia, she's not that happy with them. And I have several patients who are actually psychologically disturbed by them. There's descriptions of biological mesh put as a tissue between A and B. And of course there are major operations like pull-throughs. And you can get your friendly surgeon to come along and he can put some exciting tissue between the back and the front as well. There are Singapore flaps and there is the gracilis interposition but I would say to you that you've got to be very careful with these women because they don't really want to end up with a hairy vagina. So either you don't take the skin or you cancel them or you laser them first. And then there are ablative techniques such as taking out the entire rectum. Now here we have the new Lord of the Ring <laughs> who has followed Professor Phillips, and he wrote up Professor Phillips's um, series, Um, and these were operations between 2003 and 2008, 40 patients, um, 54 operations, uh, and a range of operations, but you'll note that they had a median of two operations before they even reached Professor Phillips in the first place, multiple etiologies. And the operations ranged from sphincteroplasty through to ablative techniques. Um, And what you will see, the bottom line, is that 43% of Crohn's patients healed and 63% of non-Crohn's patients healed after a median of 1.5 operations. So our light bulb moment came when um, I had a patient sent to me from Kuwait who had an obstetric fistula. And she had failed a rectal advancement flap, two vaginal advancement flaps. Um, she had a colostomy already. Um, she had a Singapore flap on the left. She had a Singapore flap on the right. And she'd had a grassless interposition. Uh, and we ended up, um, I roped in Janindra to do the top end laparoscopically, and I did the bottom end. Um, we did a laparoscopic proctectomy, hand sewn coloanal anastomosis, and a mentoplasty. And that night, I was thinking about my intestinal failure work, and I thought, we use the omentum as the sole thing to put between fistulae um, in the abdomen, so why don't we just use omentum for these patients? So we've now done at least 16 of these patients. Um, 13 have been obstetric, two post after a rectocele repair, um, and one after a, a coloanal pull through for a megarectum with a rectal bolus that they couldn't remove. That wasn't done with us, I have to say. Um, And 15 of these patients, we've called them all complex, 15 of them are redos, and one was a post-obstetric fistula that was rather large. You could almost put three fingers in it. Now, hopefully, this is going to run, and I will take you through what we do. We identified the fistula, and again, I rope in Janindra for this operation. Um, Janindra mobilises the omentum, and then, after a while... Because we're fighting for position, he wants the patient in one position, I want the patient in another position. I start to dissect from below, dissect up to the fistula. You'll see the probe is still in the fistula here. I'm going to get up to that and then I'm going to repair the fistula on the rectal side. And then I'm going to keep on dissecting. is probably still giving me a load of momentum at this stage. Uh, and then we're starting to dissect down into the pelvis and there's my finger coming up from below Uh, in this particular case I asked for a bit more omentum and then we're going to pull the omentum through you've got to make sure you've got a real wad of it and in fact we um, you can bend it back on itself so you can get more than one layer of it and here we go we're pulling it through you do when you when you go through to the abdomen and uh, all the air comes at you. you can get a bit spattered with blood but by the time the omentum's plugging the hole it's fine I stitch the the omentum into place I also repair the vaginal side separately as well and as you can see you can push all that momentum in so you've really got a big wad between the anterior and posterior openings uh, and that's the end result so, so far, we have a more than an 80% healing rate on one operation alone. And I would say to you that we've stopped actually operating on the obese. They do not heal, and one of, uh, one of the obese patients with Crohn's didn't heal. So this is now our simple um, approach to management of rectovaginal fistulae. First of all, we do um, an ultrasound, and if there's a disrupted sphincter, we do a sphincter repair. And we can do an amentoplasty as well. If there's an intact sphincter, a If there is no amentum, then you can still use a martius graft if the patient is agreeable. High fistulas, we would always do an amentoplasty. If you're unable to use the amentum in a high fistula, then graciloplasty without the skin. Thank you very much.
1: brilliant Carolyn thank you for doing it so um, so quickly that was superb so we just need the last couple oh. of cases we won't I've got four we won't do all four um, I think we'll just have time for two we started late so we'll finish just a couple of but we won't stop you getting coffee so which ones shall we do I think we have covered the question of um, we've covered the question of uh, straight transventeric fistula and how to manage that in the Crohn's section so I'm going to skip on past that so 37 year old woman with a Bartholin's um, sepsis drained by the gynaecologist who then develops rectovaginal fistula symptoms. Of note, she's had five previous vaginal deliveries, all with forceps. I double-checked that because I couldn't believe it. All five. What do you need to do to persuade someone that a cesarean section is a good idea? Anyway, five forceps deliveries, one of them with a tear. She's passing a tablespoonful of stool plus flatus, through the vagina every day. There's no underlying bowel disease. Her sphincter complex is intact, other than where the fistula goes through it. And it's a relatively low anovaginal fistula. So I'm gonna ask the audience first, and then we'll go through the panel and see from the surgeons what they would offer. What do you think? Advancement flap, martius flap, a lift procedure, a direct repair in the septum, or nothing at all?
0: I think I'd have had a C-section. Sorry? I'd have had a cesarean
2: section before all of this.
1: Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Although, in fact, in this case, it wasn't the baby's fault. But yes. Although a cesarean section would have made an amental flap really difficult. Do you have a comment about that, um, Carolyn, about abdominal surgery and doing the amental. No. Not worries. Oh, come on. (laughs) Whatever. grow a pair, Do we right. know if
0: her anal sphincters are intact? Yes, her anal
1: sphincter yes. is intact. Okay. Intact. Yeah. But, yeah. So, there's, so if her anal sphincter wasn't intact, then direct sphincter repair would be uh, repair with sphincter repair would be one of the options here. Okay, let's see what everyone thinks. So I'm just going to point out the do nothing um, group. I think it's really important to think about doing nothing. Um, sometimes, commonly, in fact, when the operation for repair of the fistula fails, the symptoms get worse, sometimes a lot worse and what was just a little bit of wind every now and again can become stool every day, and that is a significant deterioration. And if there is only a little bit of wind every now and again, one might take the view that avoiding surgery is a good idea, and a woman may make that choice. I think it's really important to be offering that. I think with large-volume faecal discharge, it is unlikely that a woman's going to accept that. So, everyone is convinced, almost everyone is convinced by the mental flap as an idea. Carolyn? Carolyn? You were doing a mental flap?
2: Yes. Sue, do you have a thought about this? I, I, would, I would do the mental flap or the Marshall's Graft flap. I, one of the options you haven't put on here is defunctioning. Yeah. Just leaving her diverted. Now, most people won't want that, but it is an option. And just because it's an option we assume people don't want doesn't mean that we shouldn't mention it. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely right. Uh, Arsha?
2: I'm very convinced by the mental flap. I would probably try that, but I haven't done yet, and therefore I'd be doing an advancement flap. I think it's very difficult to do a lift in these cases because they're very short tracts. I probably would have done an advancement flap, but trying try a mental one now.
1: I think a lift is an option. People, lots of people are very down on lift in rectovaginal fistulas. I think if it's nice and low, I don't really think... I don't think the fistula knows whether it comes out through the perineum or through the back wall of the vagina. And when you're in the sphincteric space, I don't think there's a difference. I think the problem is that quite often the fistula is high, too high for you to work in the sphincteric space, and then it's no good. But I think if it's low, I don't have an objection to it, I have to say. Janindra?
2: So I was going to say, if you don't have momentum, which...
1: Because you're contractually obliged to say yes, is a first choice. <laughs> but, if you, but if you don't have momentum, OK.
0: Um,
2: th- there's no reason why you can't contemplate, as Carolyn showed you in that picture, a, a bio. Bio lift or bio something uh, because the
0: biological meshes are actually quite um, good these days and you get good biosynthetics as well. Yeah, so do not put a synthetic mesh, a proline mesh. I think that that's just heresy beyond belief. Yes, but um, th- th- there is that as an
2: option if you don't have momentum. But I would go for momentum,
1: yeah. So, direct repair in the rectovaginal septum is not, not <coughs> something that any of us have talked about. What that really means is the martius or a mental flap but without the flap and in fact in the end that's what this lady had a wasn't available and she didn't want a martius flap but having accessed that space we were able to undertake a repair there so here's a bit of classic surgicalism we uh, first of all she'd had a Delorme style flap uh, sorry that's what she did originally uh, we've we've gone through this that's what she had. She had repair, a direct repair in the rectal vaginal septum. No further stool through the vagina, so that's a win. Even if she's still got a fistula at that point, you might well take the view that you'll stop. That would be a very reasonable thing to do. She thought she might still be passing wind, so I took the Professor Phillips' view that she was probably wrong. <laughs> <and> <laughs> I, so, I didn't, so I did an EUA, and there was no fistula but I determined that there was an area of uh, abnormality in the front of the anal sphincter as a result, contour, an abnormal contour in the front of the anus, and that whenever she she passes wind, it probably blows across the vulva, and that probably gives her the symptom. I'm joking about it, but that probably is a real thing. I've heard you talk about it, Carolyn, before, as well as a concept. However, it is most likely, if she says she's still got a fistula, that she does. But I couldn't find it, and her symptoms were modest, so I will call that a partial success. Okay, this is the last case. I promise then we can all go to coffee. Um, You've got a really great session coming up tomorrow on anastomotic failure. And this is the other place that fistulas come from, of course, one of the other places, in pouches or in low anterior sections. Um, You'll hear some great talks tomorrow about that. But I'm going to show you one of the cases that's along those lines because a lot of those patients come to us in the fistula unit uh, unless they're recurrent cancers, obviously we pass them on in that case, but otherwise we often deal with the deep pelvic sepsis. So here's a 61-year-old man who had a Hartman's for diverticular disease in Spain. Uh, he had attempted reversal three times, and it was successful at the final attempt. Now, you're already on a hiding to nothing here, right? You're doing your third attempt at a Hartmann's reversal. You're already, already wondering whether this was a good idea. But anyway, that's what happened, and he came across to us having developed pretty much immediately afterwards, recurrent UTIs and pneumaturia. He was defunctioned, which stopped the pneumaturia, but the recurrent UTIs continued and he started passing urine through his rectum. So, we're in a difficult spot. Now, uh, these, do you want to talk about these, Phil?
2: So, you can see the, um, the colon just coming down just here on the, on the patient's left, and it almost goes through a little donut of uh, bladder, which is obviously unusual because the bladder should be completely separate from that. And then at the anastomosis... <laughs> Understatement um, of the day. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the anastomosis just there, where there are a few uh, little staples, um, you can see there's a little connection between the bladder and the um, anastomosis, indicating a um cycle fistula. Okay, this is what it looks like at
1: cystoscopy. We took this patient to theatre with a urologist, of course. Uh, this isn't projecting well, that's a shame, but I hope you can see... Uh, there is the fistula and this is the conduit and we're inside the bladder and that is round the back of the conduit and it's a little bit like being in a trendy Irish pub and there with a, a tree coming through the floor and then the trunk of it going out through the ceiling and so it's been beautifully, it's bang in the middle in between the ureters, no ureter was harmed in the making of this uh, anastomosis, uh, so everyone, everyone got to grips with their case so what are you going to do? Now I accept that what you're thinking is I'm going to spend a long time talking to the patient and work out what the right thing is from them. I think that's exactly the right answer. I can't really put that onto the slide. So assume that they've said, whatever you think, Phil, you crack on, I'm a happy person, you, you, you look like a trustable chap. In that case, what would be your, your advice? Okay, we'll go, we'll go with that number. Well, I think that's exactly right, isn't it? Who knows?
0: <laughs> Any of the above. Um, let's start from the end. Carolyn? Um, I'm a bit concerned what the pelvis is going to be like because he's had all these goes. Um, and I think if he's amenable to a, a stoma, I'd probably go for that and go for the safe option. I think do-nothing is hopeless because you've got rectum pouring into the bladder. So I think that's absolute no-no. And if he wants heroics, then we'll go for heroics but it's, it's what he wants. But I, my preference would be, I think, an ultra-low Hartman's. So I
2: would just think about a pull-through. The reason is, I, you know, what the worry is that he's going to get a um, fistula between the urinary tract and the perineum, which is very difficult to manage. Um, I don't think he should stay as he is because he's going to get urinary tract infections and his kidneys are going to get wrecked eventually, and he's le- leaking urine, it's horrible. So I don't think he should stay as he is. I think if you just take out his rectum, you're leaving a space at the back. OK, you might be able to put some momentum down there or something, but I'm not sure that you've got anything to lose by trying a pull through and putting healthy colon behind the bladder that will almost act as a graft, as well as giving him potentially intestinal continuity. So I would actually think about that for those reasons.
1: Yeah, thank you. That's very thoughtful. Arsha? I
2: would, I would have said a pull through as well. The only thing is that he's had three goes at closing his Hartmann's, and he may not have enough length to actually come through. But if it can be done, it definitely would be the safest thing to do. Um, whether it's possible to disconnect the bladder in any way, um, because the bladder will heal if it is, um, or maybe that's not necessary. i just pulling the colon through. But That would be my choice.
1: Janindra? Let's hope they left some momentum there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. And, and yeah, pull through. Okay, very good. So this is the pull through operation everyone's talking about. The Suave. You'll perhaps see some of these slides tomorrow. I don't know but the idea would be to, to mobilise the bowel, bring it through within the rectal stump, okay? Mucosectomy inside the rectal stump and pass the clonic conduit through it. If you don't have enough length, you can do a Deloyer to try and access more colon and bring that through if you want to add to the complexity of the procedure and then finish up with a hand endoanal coloanal anastomosis. So that's the argument that, um, that we are making. This was the last case that Professor Phillips booked before he retired. Not did, <laughs> booked the week before he retired. (laughs) The the guy went off and had some medical issues which needed to be sorted out um, to give me some time to uh, gain some courage. And in fact, I enlisted the help of um, Anthony Antonio, who may be here, who came down to, there he is at the back, who came down to offer me both moral and physical support during the operation which I was most grateful. But we went in with the intent of either doing a pull-through or a proctectomy, depending on how it looked. If we could get a pull-through through through, for exactly the reasons that Professor Clark has pointed out, that was preferable. But it might not be possible, and so we'd end up doing a proctectomy in that case. It was difficult, as expected, and in particular it was difficult below the bladder. And we really struggled to get into a position where we could undertake a suave. So in the end, I took out the anus and the rectum. We didn't damage the ureters during the operation, which i took to be a minor victory and hazel eccleston who i don't know if we're hearing from but she's our she's our adopted urologist she's a fantastic urologist who helps us all out with our difficult cases um bivalved the bladder almost entirely round to the trigone so that we could get the thing out and then repaired it and the only complication he had actually was a small bladder leak we had some momentum tacked onto the back of it exactly as you say janindra and with a catheter left in place and then ultimately nephrostomies that has dried up and those will hopefully all come out in the next few weeks. And if they don't, we'll end up with exactly the problem that Professor Clark pointed out. Hopefully we will not. So there you are. Uh, so he had a proctectomy. So he had an end. Uh, in addition? No, no, no. We just pulled out the colon. There's so no anastomosis above. So there we are.